1: If Bigfoot really existed, man, I mean, it would be crazy to think that we would not have, you know, gotten some actual footage. Forced to get water from the local rivers and streams, which were infested with dead animals that had been killed in the hurricane. I mean, dude, it was it was absolutely crazy.
0: Hey, guys, welcome to the Survival Show podcast with Craig. And me, David, where it's our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster, and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. And today, David and I will
2: be joined with our always special guest and Survival Show podcast contributor, Mr. Creek Stewart. How are you, Creek?
1: I'm doing good. Now that you called me special.
2: (laughs) <laughs> I try, man. I'm trying to butter you up a little bit, but
0: you know, I, I had I had to get this in here. And when you're on the podcast for four times, this is your fourth time, I think, Creek, isn't it? Or fifth or it something is. like that. Do we yeah. have a challenge coin
2: or a little award for that or anything, David? Because Yeah, he earns, hopefully. He has in our industry,
0: puppy. I should get some kind of a patch. <laughs> oh, I've got you a patch. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Patch. Craig, send him a patch. I don't have those I, yet.
2: I got patches.
0: But we did give him a title of contributor. I, I just felt like that was appropriate. So, Creek, oh, you're oh, now man. a contributor. <laughs> that
1: sounds great, man. Does that come with a pay raise?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We'll double your
2: pay. How's that? <laughs> oh, man. I'm retiring. <laughs> all right, guys and gals, as Creek joins David and I, we're going to have a roundtable discussion on some catastrophic and potentially society altering events. Some of the things we will try to get into are first, the main thing, uh, earthquakes, because they've been in the news lately. And we're going to dig into this topic and see how it can impact all of us. Then we'll go discuss. The link between earthquakes and volcanoes. And if we have time, which I hope we do, we'll take a look at biological threats, weapons of mass destruction, socialism versus communism. These are David's notes. We're going to do everything. (laughs) Golly, David. And if that's not enough, hey, let's talk about UFOs. We'll see. We'll see what we get to. But uh, the main thing I want to make sure that we understand right off the bat is. We're discussing some things that could be considered conspiracy theories, and we're going to try to not go over the edge too far on fear-based stuff and things of that nature, but but the main thing to keep in mind is that you all have asked our opinions, and you're the listener, we're the talker, and we're going to do everything that we can to give you what it is that you want and tell you what it is that we think about it.
0: And maybe, maybe if we have time at the end, we'll do a lightning round of questions for Craig and Creek, and of course always my goal is to stump them especially for craig <laughs> and as you guys know this is a lot of fun because that's when craig becomes very entertaining craig this is david's new
2: game here have you seen i don't know oh, if you really. listened to, yeah th- he loves to try 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 stump me on things which is okay
1: it's hard to stump a guy with such a factual tone
2: <laughs> yeah true so even if I don't know what I'm talking about I'll just make it sound like I do right
1: <laughs> exactly
2: <laughs> so as we move forward today you all, our mission is to always help you progressively increase your survival IQ so you leave out of here after the podcast better prepared at the end of the show than you were now at the beginning of it so you boys you gentlemen are you ready to get into this
1: oh yeah man yeah let's do this I can't wait with a list of topics like that <laughs>
0: Okay, guys, so let's start out here by really focusing in on earthquakes. And this is, we're really going to talk about this now because it has been in the news. But because of the way this works, some of you guys are listening in the future. So as we get going, Craig and Creek, why don't you guys throw in anything uh, that you know of And Craig, I know you're especially up on this. I'm not I'm not sure if you've been following this, but there's been a lot going on with regards to earthquakes lately. Uh, You guys want to bring us up to speed on on what you know? Well,
1: I've heard a little bit about it, but uh, I'm very familiar with earthquake disasters in general, but not so much about the recent ones. So I'm excited to get tuned in on that a little bit, too.
2: So what I thought we'd do first, guys, and everybody listening in, is just get a baseline understanding what earthquakes are. And this, this has been great. This topic, David came up with this topic, and it forced me to put some research in. And, and I have learned a ton of particularly ways of thinking about earthquakes in a more simple manner. But basically what happens is, uh, looking at the definition, and you guys jump in here anytime you want to. An earthquake is what happens when two blocks of earth suddenly slip past one another. The surface where they slip is called the fault. That's basically similar to the crack, if you will, or the fault plane. The location below the Earth's surface where the earthquake starts is called the hypocenter. And the location directly above it is on the surface of the earth, which we often hear in the news, which is called the epicenter. Okay, that's the first thing I want to make sure we get out there. Secondly, uh I did not even realize this is a term as the way it was stated in my research, but there are nearly as many foreshocks. Those are shocks that happen before an earthquake, the big earthquake that happens. Then there are the main shocks and the after what we commonly refer to as aftershocks. So we don't know the foreshocks, if they are the actual foreshock or if they are the earthquake until we know that there's something that's happened that's bigger. And all this is because the earth has four major layers, the inner core, outer core, mantle, and crust. The crust and the top of the mantle make up a thin skin on the surface of our planet, which is interesting. Way to consider it. But this skin is not an all one piece. And this is one of the things that made it really uh, make more sense to me. Basically, all these pieces are like a puzzle all over the earth. And these puzzle pieces sometimes crash into each other. Sometimes one slides on top of another. But not only are they doing that, they're continuously moving slowly and into each other, on top of one another, past one another. And these puzzle pieces are what we refer to as tectonic plates. So when these plates come together, those are called the plate boundaries. The plate boundaries are made up of many faults, and most other plates around the world occur on these faults. Craig, can you just uh,
0: tell us a little bit about faults?
2: So basically those faults are where it's very likely that these tectonic plates are going to bang together because some of them are larger than others and they're pulled apart and they're rubbing up against one another. And in that manner, uh, they are likely to have earthquakes that we feel. There's all kinds of earthquakes all over the planet that we don't as humans feel. But like there's fault lines in California. That's what we were experiencing in the news during the 4th of July holiday. There's a big one that runs through my state or nearly most of my state here in Kentucky called the uh, New Madrid fault line. And so those are areas that we're very likely going to feel this slip and have problems and and uh, experience significant earthquakes. Gotcha.
1: So I got a question for you guys. Have, have you guys ever been in an earthquake personally?
2: Yes and no. This is interesting. Uh, And this, this might come up later is we've had some minor ones here in Kentucky Creek and I have never felt one. My wife has, and and again, this is what I was mentioning earlier is that we can't predict earthquakes. I think that's something we need to bring up and discuss, but my wife has felt earthquakes before they were going to happen on about a dozen occasions. huh? And so there's a, there's some, I, I was trying to read up on that too, about whether animals, particularly birds and wildlife and stuff of that nature, can they feel those things coming? And the more I dug into it, the more I realized that there are a lot of people that feel these things getting ready to happen. And they don't really know why, if there's some sort mm-hmm. of vibration or what have you. But I remember, uh, it was probably three years ago. My wife said, we just had an earthquake. And I was like, I didn't feel anything nothing, you know, you look on social media, nothing's happening. Nobody's experiencing anything. And then about an hour later, the news comes on. Wow. We just had a earthquake. (laughs) So it's just one of those things that really interests me.
0: This might be a good point to even jump in, jump ahead a little bit. And I know if you're like, I used to be, and I'm saying that Creek just because of the question you just asked, because yes, I have experienced an earthquake in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of people just think that, you know, these are things that maybe happen out in California or out, out in the Western part of the United States or in other countries. But if I'm getting this right, Craig, from what you said, and the little bit that I know about all of this, when the mountains that we have, there's a couple of ways to make mountains. It could be uh massive, massive erosion, uh, coupled with two tectonic plates crushing together and, and pushing together up to, am I right there, Creek and Craig?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: So would it be safe to say that if you're anywhere, uh, maybe where there's a mountain that, that you could be susceptible to some seismic activity?
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And I think it's one of the things that if people aren't aware Maybe it'd be interesting to know, but for example, the highest mountains in the world in the Himalayas are probably one of the newest mountain ranges on planet earth. Whereas the Appalachians, I said that for the benefit of our listeners, I wanted wow. to say Appalachian so badly. <laughs> wow. Wow. That was a first. Uh, <laughs> the apple. <laughs> Appalachians that connect David and I, he in Pennsylvania, me here in Kentucky are one of the oldest mountain ranges. And because they're really just hills in comparison to let's say the Rockies or the Himalayas Mm -hmm. or what have you, but they're very old. And that is um, where two tectonic plates, those puzzle pieces that I was mentioning earlier crashed together a very, very
0: long time ago. So is this something then that almost anybody should at least be aware of and care about a little bit?
2: Oh, without a doubt, from my perspective, and Creek, jump in here with whatever you think, too, please. But but uh, there's, for example, the last time the New Mattered fault that, that can affect us here in Kentucky, that's the one that's most likely to affect us. The last time it went off significantly was in 1812, and it rocked this whole end of the country. And there were, there were church bells ringing in Boston, Massachusetts. They felt it in a Miami, Florida. And so what is now Miami, Florida? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you might not have one running through the middle of Tennessee. I actually don't know. But you would feel when the new Madrid fault line went off, even in Tennessee, for example.
0: And Craig, you are right. that You are an amazing historian. It was uh, one of the three largest earthquakes to have happened in North America with magnitudes between 7.2 and 8.3, with 203 damaging aftershocks. So, and that was, where was that? New Madrid, Missouri was the epicenter, I guess. Oh, wow. So,
2: Yeah, we, uh, the and just because it played such a big role in the Kentucky history, I know more about. I'm not a big, huge uh, expert on earthquakes either, just like you guys, but I'm off liking, studying and research. But there were walls of land, or I'm sorry, waves of land that were 12, 14 foot tall that were moving across the western portion of what we now know as Kentucky. Wow. Just waves of land. Mississippi River ran backwards. Uh, Real Foot Lake, which is a huge lake in western Kentucky, was not there one day. Earthquake happened. It was there the next day. And like thousands and thousands of acres where water just got pushed into a depression that was created by the earthquake. And now there's a huge lake there. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty devastating thing.
1: Two years ago, I was out filming, um, sometime in February out in California. We were out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And in the middle of the night, there was an earthquake and I had never been in an earthquake up until that point in my life a couple years ago. And. This entire we were in a hotel, and the entire hotel shook, man. I mean, mm-hmm. it knocked it knocked stuff was falling off of the tables, you know, all my toiletries were coming off of the- of the bathroom counter, so it took me a second to actually figure out what in the world was even happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but it was a really uh man, I mean, you talk about a very helpless scenario I can't even imagine you know, something that would have been really high on the Richter
0: scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it was the year 2000. I was at work here up in the North Central Endless Mountains of North Central Pennsylvania. And I was at work. I was in, I was sitting in a cubicle and the ground began to shake and the walls began to shake. And kind of like what you said, Creek, (laughs) we had no forewarning. Nobody Mm -hmm. had anything. They knew nothing that was going on. You know, I mean, it literally took like, to get past normalcy bias, it took like 15 seconds and people finally started heading out the doors and everything. And probably it was probably about 30 seconds before that. I never imagined that I would ever experience an earthquake, especially in Pennsylvania.
1: I don't know what's scariest about that story. You being in a cubicle or the earthquake.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was scary being in a cubicle hey, but at the time, I was very fond of having food on the table and a roof over (laughs) my head for my family, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I hear you.
0: My kids are grown up now, so I don't, I mean, (laughs) not that I don't have to worry about that as much, but you know what I mean? (laughs) I know. (laughs) So yeah, I think this, I think that brings up the point that I think we all should really focus in on this because it could happen anywhere. I'm literally looking at a chart right now, Creek and Craig, of of earthquakes that have happened from the late 1800s in Missouri, New York city, Texas, Ontario, Canada, Michigan, New York state, Kentucky, New Brunswick, Arkansas, Louisiana, Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois. And that takes us right up to the 1990s. So this is something that has happened in a significant way as far as the United States, all over the United States. Wow. So we just discussed some, like what areas of the United States in the world are vulnerable um, anything to add to that Craig or Creek? Are there any, maybe, maybe the question is, is there anywhere that's not vulnerable or are there any places that are more vulnerable and why? I think maybe we touched on that lightly, but, uh, anything there you guys have to add?
2: I think certainly the people that are sitting on those fault lines are, are ones that should know that they are there. And if you're not sure, you should probably contact your local emergency management and find out if you are, and if you are, you need to know what to do in the situation, which we're going to discuss today on what you should do in an earthquake. And uh, that way you have a good understanding of where it is that you live. Cause we can't obviously tell everybody that listens to us exactly what's going on in your area, but find out those fault lines. That's for sure. But the, the big thing is knowing that, that for, for example, here in Kentucky, we don't see or feel earthquakes of any, Serious magnitude, again, the last one, 1812, and so our cities, our small cities, even our large cities, Louisville, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, Bowling Green, Bowling Green in particular, one of the largest cities close to the New Madrid Fault Line are not built to be basically earthquake-proof cities, Mm -hmm. and so these types of locations that are sitting on a fault line that doesn't go off very often are going to be one of the most vulnerable areas on the planet, in my opinion. Um, you know, when I was doing the research for this podcast, there are, and I can't even remember the country and I'm sorry, gentlemen, I can't tell you what it is, but somewhere down in South America, they, they take preparing for earthquakes so seriously that if you have a building that is not earthquake proof, or you have one that has not been retrofitted for earthquake proof, they fine you until it is retrofitted to be earthquake proof. And so they as a community, their infrastructure is built to handle earthquakes. So that's that's incredibly, incredibly important to understand from an infrastructure standpoint. Boeing Green, Kentucky, and those of you who may be near there, near a fault line, your city is going to be on the ground. Your big buildings are going to be on the ground more than likely when that earthquake goes off again, if it's big again. Does that make sense, guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. What's involved in retrofitting a building? Like a roll bar, <laughs> yeah. Well, what they were saying, and this is this is kind of blew me away, Creek. Hmm. It was it was really interesting that that they you basically have to go in there and put x amount of rebar in yep. in the walls, and if your walls don't have it, then you have to tear those walls down and rebuild wow. it. Wow, and that's that's how important it is to. These other countries, we, th- there is some requirements in, in law, a lot of the cities in California, but it's not nearly the same as what it was down in South America. What my, what, what I was reading. Wow. Oh. So I think also one of the big issues, guys and gals that are listening in is water. Uh, I, I kept reading over and over researching for this, that oh yeah, when earthquakes happen, water lines break and yeah. sometimes they break underneath the earth and just crack, for example, and, and contaminants get into the water system. And I'm guessing that's something you've run across some way, shape, or form Creek and everything you've been doing.
1: Oh yeah. I, I would say that's probably one of the first infrastructure, you know, actually important infrastructure, Well, what I would call kind of top priority human need infrastructure that is affected in earthquakes, you know, as soon as that ground starts shaking, you know, those lines starts moving, those lines start moving Mm -hmm. and popping. And, you know, it's almost, it doesn't even take,
2: it doesn't even take a big earthquake to start popping some of those water lines. Right. I think about even, you know, and I know I live in a small town in Kentucky, but, you know, some of our water lines are still old cast iron, Yeah. I mean, literally. And I mean, they do other things to, to make sure that the water gets clean before and after these lines. Mm -hmm. But like, there's a line that runs through my parents' farm that is literally concrete. It is a concrete line. And I mean, it's a huge line
1: and there's no way. Yeah, I know. Oh, no, absolutely. And water lines run, you know, what, what runs next to water lines along the street. Sewage lines, yeah, say, sewage. you know, I mean, and so both of those lines are popping and, uh, you know, in some cities, the sewer lines are even older than the water lines, you know? And, yeah. um, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty common knowledge that there's a lot of, there's a lot of little leaks going on along those lines as well. So, um, when you get those two popping along each side of each other, then, you know, there's a, a whole nother set of issues besides just not having
2: water. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, that extending on what you said there, Creek. too, gas lines are a huge Mm -hmm. issue because when they burst and they're throwing out natural gas, if it gets ignited, you basically have a hundred foot tall spout of flame that's going to burn glass. I mean, I've seen this happen. I used to work for a gas company where, you know, these lines get caught and they go off and they're throwing off a flame that melts glass in windows, you know, a hundred yards away. Wow. Um, Roads and bridges. I know our National Guard here in Kentucky, I know this is what I have knowledge of, so I keep speaking of Kentucky, but I'm sure it's this way everywhere. Uh, Our National Guard does assessments on roads and bridges throughout the Commonwealth of Kentucky for that new Madrid fault line going off. And I tell people that when I go around and teach classes here in the state that our National Guard knows it's a big issue everybody else should know that it's a big issue too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things that, you know, think about all the bridges we go over in our daily lives. Most of those bridges will not be able to be utilized. Yeah. You know, not to mention electricity, you know, that's probably the first that's going to yeah. you know, going down. So I think that would be something that goes down with, you know, with the buildings in these areas where the buildings fall, we've got to be, You know, thinking of it from a survival and safety perspective, one of the first things that we should do is get out of these buildings. Uh, If we have the opportunity, if we can't, we've got to get cover in the buildings. But if we can get out, we need to get out of these buildings and get away from power lines, get away from utility issues and and the things that go along with it. So I think that's important that we understand for sure.
0: So in the recent news with these all these earthquakes and especially the aftershocks that happen because because of what I I don't know if we're going to get into this more Craig but just how how they can or can't what can be predicted or what can't be predicted as far as earthquakes go with our current technology but people just didn't know cuz sometimes the aftershocks are worse than the uh, than the initial ones so what i saw was there were people that were actually suffering from some light PTSD Post-traumatic stress syndrome is that how you, is that what it is? Yeah, mm-hmm. post-traumatic yes. stress, yeah, disorder, right? And they would not go back into their homes. I remember seeing a couple of clips off of the news where a lady yeah. said, "Hey, I I am afraid of the apartment above me falling down on my head." So what happened is people, and some of the people I believe are still, you know, just not comfortable with going back into their dwellings yet. They were living outside their homes out in uh, open areas away from buildings and tents.
1: Yeah. I've seen similar. I've seen very, very similar. We, we studied, we've studied a lot of different, Kind of large scale disaster survival scenarios. And that is pretty, that does happen, man. That PTSD after the fact is very common in large scale disasters. People just scared to go back to their community, scared to go back to their home. I've seen that happen with hurricanes and tornadoes. And it doesn't surprise me at all that you've
2: heard stories like that with earthquakes. I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I think, David, but I've got this friend of mine that is in Ohio. He listens to the podcast. So how you doing, Jay? But uh, he he oversees public works for a large city up there, like four hundred, five hundred thousand 500,000 people or something like that. When those tornadoes hit up there a few weeks ago, he kept, when I was talking to him, he kept talking about this word refugees. He's like, man, we just, mm-hmm. we've got mm-hmm. scores and scores of just refugees that had a home 15 minutes ago and now don't. Hmm. Yeah that are just walking around and just don't know what to do exactly like Hmm. what you are describing. I mean, they just don't know what to do. They're just in shock.
0: Now let me ask you guys this, is there any way to prepare your mind so that when these traumatic types of events happen, your mind has been trained through this, Or, or is it just, you just don't know, you just don't know where your mind is. You don't know what your breaking point is until you're actually faced with a crisis like this. What do you guys have to say about that?
2: I'd love to hear what you have to say on that creek. I know I've got an opinion. I always do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, you know, there's different types of people in the world that react differently to stress. And, you know, in my experience, having talked with and interviewed, you know, countless people who have been in really stressful survival situations, you know, I've seen people who have been formally trained in You know, whether it be military or first responders who, you know, kind of fall apart in a real stressful situation. And I've seen people who have absolutely zero training whatsoever be able to hold it together. And I really think it comes down to, you know, just the type of person and how they are just capable of handling stress. I don't know that that is a trained response. I mean, on some level, certainly, you know, with stressful situations, but man, I mean, I don't know that you can recreate the the impact of a large scale disaster. I've been to some huge training facilities, one in particular called the Guardian Centers in Georgia. That, you know, they've done an incredible job of recreating, you know, full on earthquake scenarios, collapsed bridges, collapsed buildings, you know, to help first responders train in evacuating and dealing with those types of scenarios. But the mental side of it, man, is like, I mean, that comes down almost to, you know, a a person's individual, individual makeup. Would you agree with me, Craig, or what do you think?
2: Oh, 100%, 100%. The only thing I could add to that at all would be that the biggest thing that causes the fear and problems is the fear of the unknown when something like that happens. So people that do go to training, like what you just described, first responders, and those that are listening today, at least these people are going to get something that helps uh, some of those unknowns, and so they're not con- completely caught unaware. Somebody that never considers that an earthquake can happen is going to be, in my opinion, worse off than somebody that's at least considered it. Yeah, they ha- they have nothing to build on. So I, th- I think you're dead on, Creek. I think it's perfect.
0: So in that effect, this conversation is actually helpful to the people that are listening because they're getting some some background, basic knowledge, and some ideas of potentially what to expect and how to deal with them. So I think that's cool.
2: Yeah, I think without a doubt. And I think it's it's one of the things I keep saying it to David and and, and Creek. I'm, I'm guessing you're the same way because you seem to be the same way. But these opportunities to get prepared for a show like this have made me a lot more educated on for me mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. and helping me become more prepared. Because, you know, earthquakes are not something I think about a lot. Oh, yeah, I've thought about them some, but I mean now, even doing research for this podcast that we're talking about, I've learned a lot more and that, and I say that just as an example for other people is just to get in the practice of learning more and and quelling as many of those unknowns as we possibly can
0: That's really good, Craig. So here's the question: Can earthquakes really be predicted, and the reason I'm asking is that folks in California, my experience, and them, we were all completely taken by surprise.
2: No, they cannot be predicted. One of the things that I studied was a, a lady called the Earthquake Lady that lives in California. She's done like 40 or 50 years of research on earthquakes, and she she has a really good job of speaking on them simply to people like me, because I'm not a what's the right word, a geologist or earthquakeologist or whatever it might be, you know, a seismologist. <laughs> there you go. I picked out a big word. Cool. So um, <laughs> she did a really good job of basically saying, no, we can't predict them. And so just being prepared is, is about all we can do. We just don't know when we're going to need it. That's why I tell people all the time in classes that our earthquake is going to happen to us here locally in this region. It could be five minutes from now. It could be 500 years from now. We just have no idea. We just know that it's going to happen because those tectonic plates, those puzzle pieces are there and they're going to move.
1: You know, it's interesting, you know, that we talk about getting ready for an earthquake, but man, I mean, when an earthquake hits, you know, it really affects, you know, pretty much wherever you're at in an area, you're affected. And you would react completely differently if you're at home versus if you're driving down the expressway, you know, like Mm. just imagine, you know, an earthquake hitting and you're driving, you know, maybe you're on a bridge or maybe you're on like one of those big, crazy spaghetti bowl ramps, you know, and Mm. the scenarios could be totally different, you know,
2: I mean, just depending Mm -hmm. on where you're at in an event like this. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, one of the things that I try to encourage people is that, yeah, definitely, without a doubt, I'd love my wife and kids to be home when an earthquake happens so we can all be together, but statistically, unless it happens in the middle of the night, we're all going to be out doing our own jobs and our own work or what have you, and, you know, if we have little kids, they might be in school. I mean, we need to have plans in place for communication and, and contact areas and and stuff of that nature so that when we are separated by an earthquake or some variation of it, even tornado, what have you, that we have plans in place so that we can take care of ourselves and get back to our families.
1: You know, an earthquake's a little bit of a unique animal in the in the realm of natural disasters. You, the fact that it is not easily or sometimes not at all predictable You know, versus like a hurricane. I mean, oftentimes, you know, a hurricane's coming maybe even as far as a week in advance and when it's going to almost when they track those things across the ocean for days, you know, and to a certain extent, tornadoes sometimes can be predicted. Definitely large scale storms, you know, sometimes flood flood disasters can be predicted, you know, but when you're talking about something large scale that is completely unpredictable,
2: that's an entirely different animal. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. I think it's one of those things that, uh, I'm glad that David picked up this idea of doing this topic and these, these things. And you mentioned Creek that you didn't, you hadn't heard about this. Uh, but over the holiday weekend, the 4th of July holiday, there were a 6.4 and a 7.1 earthquake in California.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, I haven't been watching the news too much the past five years. So I, uh, I, <laughs>
2: I missed that. That's what you get for making the news, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you share the news. You don't watch. You don't have time to watch it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. But no, I I had not
1: heard that. I heard a couple little, you know, a couple little nuggets of it on social media. But that's about it.
2: I don't know any details of those of those earthquakes. You know, most people out there are somewhat accepting of those type of events, and they most of the folks that I know from that area have some sort of go bag or earthquake preparedness going on. Unlike other regions of the country, they don't see them often, but it's a lot like Alaska, California, Alaska. They have earthquakes every single day Hmm. just because of those fault lines out there. Uh, They're just usually not big enough to cause problems. Everybody
1: I know, and I know a lot of people who live in the Los Angeles area and in Southern California, every single person I know, man, they always are saying, you know, that it's going to hit one day. The big one's going to hit one day. I hope I'm not in this hope I can get out of city. (laughs) The big one's going to hit. I mean, it's literally caught you. I mean, I think everyone out there is just like the big one's going to hit one day. You know, I mean, that's kind of a,
2: that's a freaky thought. Yeah. And I think that's what you're describing. We've talked about a lot on the show is, is basically normalcy bias. They're, they're wanting to normalize something that shouldn't be normalized. Uh, Because that's not, you know, a big, huge earthquake happening and the city falling apart and bridges falling down is not normal. And they need to, you know, humans don't like change. And so we definitely don't like catastrophic change. So we kind of, those folks out there are probably going, yeah, it's going to hit. And I hope I'm not here, but they're probably going to be.
0: So let's talk a little bit about developing a plan.
2: Yeah, I think we need to make sure that we definitely have a before, during, and after considerations when we're looking at these earthquakes the the before plan should f- involve these communications between you and those that you care about, whether it's your family that you live with or those that you work with and you have close relationships or whatever. And you should plan on a way to get back together, have a central location that, you know, that we're going to try to come back to in that way. If something happens and we can't, then everybody knows that, hey, we're going to go here and do this sort of activity because there's a good chance with a large scale earthquake that you may not see family members for weeks. And that's, that's likely in a Los Angeles, for example, you, it'll be, it might be weeks before you get there. The, the other thing is this during is in, it's kind of like a lot of things. uh, FEMA put out this idea of drop, cover, hang on, which is the three simple steps that you should find yourself doing in the midst of an earthquake, which is first drop down so that you're, you're on stable ground. You've got four legs, your two hands and your knees that you're crawling around on because it's going to be so easy to fall. If you're standing up, get cover, which means get under a table, get next to a stable wall. So if anything falls, it hits the wall and doesn't fall on you. And then hang on just as best you can hang on to whatever you got to, whatever you've got around you. So you don't fall off into a stairwell or any number of things. The other one is if you're on a coast, then go inland. We saw this happen in Japan, particularly with tsunamis where earthquakes happened and pushed a lot of water inland. And so if you're on the coast, you need to go inland to get away from that. And another big consideration is traffic, get out of traffic because people are going to panic. They're going to try to drive and, and get wherever they think that they have to be at that very moment. And you may be the victim of a car crash simply because other people are driving crazily.
0: Let me ask a question right here, Creek. Maybe you want to kick in here too, because I think you've had some experience with this with your show, Craig. You mentioned something here, and that was a tsunami. Uh, they've been in the news a bit over the last couple of years, but not everybody pays attention to that, right, Creek? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but so, so what's what's the connection between a tsunami? What is that and an earthquake? Yeah, well, I mean, a tsunami is when
1: an earthquake happens out in the middle of the ocean and it pushes a wall of water and just moves a big wall of water in the ocean, which builds up momentum and speed and um, eventually hits landfall. And so, you know, a tsunami is a is, you know, a water event from a from an earthquake that happens, you know, in the
0: ocean. That's really good. So Craig, maybe to summarize just some, some action steps here, we want to get away from buildings, right? Move out into the open, away from anything that could fall on you. I think that's the big thing or get off of anything that could crumble and you could be on top of when it falls in, you can crawl under sturdy items, right? Like a solid table, stay away from windows or anything that could fall on you. And Basically, if there's nothing sturdy to crawl under, you can sit against an interior wall covering your head and neck. Creek, you've had some experience with this. Do you have anything else that you could suggest for people? Just kind of action steps if all of a sudden they find themselves in the midst of the ground rocking like they never imagined it could.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think I think this first thing to think about here is you know certain areas are prone to certain disasters, and you know rather than everyone preparing for all disasters, you know it makes sense you know only to think about and prepare for earthquakes if you live in an area that there's, there's, you know, any kind of a probability at all that it's going to happen, you know? So mm-hmm. that is not a hundred percent of North America. It's not a hundred percent of the world. Mm-hmm. There are certain areas that are more prone that make the news that have regular seismic activity, you know, and those are the areas where people should be thinking about prepping for earthquakes. And when I think about large scale disasters, kind of putting together a disaster plan for, for dealing with natural disasters, I kind of start at a high level and work my way down. So I typically, I typically, I typically suggest starting at a level where we've got four categories. We've got at home, at work, at school and on the road is where Mm, I typically start at Mm. at a higher level. And then kind of funnel those four categories. A lot of the to-dos are going to be very similar in each of those four categories. Um, But it really helps to kind of wrap your head around because if you just start like with what do I do in a earthquake? Well, it's very different on the road than it at home. And you could have you could put together the perfect home plan and not be at home, and all of that, you know, a lot of that time, effort, energy and money is wasted. And so kind of starting at those four categories at home, at work, at school and on the road and working your way down to the details will really help you put together a more comprehensive plan and kind of help you wrap your head around some of those kind of bigger, you know,
2: bigger unknowns that Craig was talking about. I love that. That's really helpful. Creek. I just took that down as notes myself, Creek. I really appreciate that. That is a great way of thinking about it. Hey, David, got a question for you. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Go ahead.
0: Is there a connection between earthquakes and
2: volcanoes?
0: (laughs) All right, guys. So there's this thing called the Pacific Ring of Fire. Just go ahead and look it up on Google. You're going to find some really, really good diagrams of how this looks. Now, this Mm -hmm. Pacific Ring of Fire goes from eastern, basically out in the ocean, uh, east of Australia. It kind of swings up and over. Into uh, the Philippines and Japan and and all of that over to and through Hawaii, where we had some volcanoes not all that long ago. Up up and through the coastal areas of Alaska, down through British Columbia, and it goes the whole way down to uh, southern Peru and Chile. And this is called the Pacific Ring of Fire, and it is because of all the tectonic seismic activity there's there's a lot of theories and uh, catastrophic ideas about what could happen here if there were some massive shifts in the tectonic plates in these areas but this is this area is said to be all connected into a very vulnerable area in the earth's thin outer skin as Craig called it the the crust and so it's it's something intriguing to look at Um, but that's the Pacific Ring of Fire and it's all connected to earthquakes and uh, the potential of uh, volcanoes. And so a lot of you guys listening probably don't remember Mount St. Helens, but we've got some other large, what we call mountains in the Pacific Northwest of the United States that are actually inactive and some of them are active volcanoes. And uh, that's all consistent with having a lot of seismic activity Underneath those regions, also. So, having said that, do you guys have anything else to say about the connection between volcanoes and earthquakes?
2: Nothing other than I just looked that up after you mentioned it and I was not aware of that. I'll miss that Whoa. one in school. I like
0: that. Hmm. Cha ching score for David. Something Craig didn't know. Yeah, right. oh, yeah there you go. My man. word. There's a first to everything. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> All right. So, here's the question everybody wants to know. Creek, I want you to go first. Are you ready? So do you think it's possible for California to fall into the ocean someday? And, of course, this is kind of like a rhetorical, maybe a crazy question, but but on the serious side, do you think there's some really val- – like if somebody's living by those faults, do you think they should move east? Man, I tell you what, if you've ever – if you've never looked at
1: a map of those fault lines in California, you, you should take a look at it. You should just Google like the San Andreas Fault in California and some of the other fault lines that exist there. I mean, they run up through the entire state, man. I mean, it is crazy looking. And if you think, you know, if you think that the of the possibility of those plates shifting along those fault lines. I mean, it does it does appear that California could separate from the rest of the country, man. The <laughs> fault line is that big, you know. So, I mean, I guess depending on the magnitude mm. of an earthquake along those fault lines, I mean, I would say, man, almost anything is possible, you know? I mean, that thing's constantly moving. It is constantly
0: moving, you know, and mm. th- that is freaky. And maybe it's not even that California could fall into the ocean, but it might become a big island (laughs) for another, a new continent. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, really. But, I mean, the fault line is that long. I mean, it's almost the entire state, man. I mean, it goes from southern all the way to northern California. And, you know, you think, I mean, what if that fault line, something major happened along that fault line? I mean, it does look like the you know that it could potentially separate the state of california you know the western anything west of eastern california you know so i mean it's it's i mean it's a big line with a lot of activity Mm -hmm. and you know i mean there's a lot of people studying that as we speak
2: craig what do you say well number (laughs) two for this show because i just looked that map up too good gravy creek is right and, I mean, I'm looking at the San Andreas Fault, and it's more on the western side of the state, but there's definitely a n- large number of fault lines that basically run up the border of California. Yeah, uh, you know, right along and the Sierra Nevada. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, I knew that there were a bunch of fault lines there, but I didn't know exactly how they were laid out. And I mean, I'm, I guess it's one of those things I've forgotten. Surely, some eighth grade teacher taught me this one day, and I've forgotten it. But, But, man, that is wild looking. Y'all need to look it up. If you're listening to the show, you need to look this up. If you're in California, you need to move.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's bad, man. The
2: San Andreas runs, kind, you know, kind of starts
1: way down in Southern California in the middle and then kind of works its way toward the upper left-hand corner, kind of, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right. So that one, you know, just seems like it could kind of split the state almost in, you know, half – not quite in half, a little bit more of just the coast, but, um, you know, but there's mountains all over the Eastern half of that Mm -hmm. state, you know, and that stuff's just constantly moving around, you know?
0: Definitely. Okay. As we wrap up this portion on earthquakes real quick, what should people do and then what should people not do if they find themselves in the midst of a seismic event?
2: I think they need to have a go home or a get home bag or a go bag, depending upon where they are. Basically, if you're you're going to work, if you're in California and you don't go to work every day with a get home bag, you're making a mistake. You need to get a get home bag. And, you know, I'm a big fan of a get home bag, no matter where you are in the world. But one of the things that often gets overlooked is, and I want to point out some things that just get overlooked off oftentimes is shoes that you can walk in, particularly for, for you ladies who wear heels or some of that nature. You need to have a pair of shoes that you can walk in comfortably uh, mask. Uh, you think back to nine eleven when the buildings fell, if a large scale event like uh, earthquake happened and a bunch of buildings f- fell, a mask would be a very beneficial thing to have on where you didn't have to breathe in all the particulates and the other heavy matter that was in the air. Uh, you, you're, your ability to use your phone is going to go away, so you've got to have some sort of communication equipment, uh, whether that is communication equipment to keep up with your family or specifically um, some sort of ability and gear that allows you to map your way back home if you're not familiar with going directly home or something of that nature or looking for alternative routes or something of that nature. But I know, I'm guessing, because I've read his books Creek's got a lot to say about this.
0: <laughs> so you're taught the best-selling book on bugging <laughs> out. <Creek's laughs> for <work. sure>. what, <laughs>
1: I don't know what you guys are How to build the perfect
0: bug out bag. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, you know, I
1: mean, obviously, you know, I'm going to sing the praises of a bug out bag all day long when it comes to prepping for any large scale natural disaster, whether that be, you know, a winter snowstorm or an earthquake. So, I mean, I feel like, I feel like a broken record. You know, when I talk about natural disasters, because I just I just always suggest that people start with a bug out bag because it'll get them. It's a real tangible project project that you can do over the course of, you know, just a couple of weeks part time and you can build a really practical kit that can, you know, get you through. Three days, a few days of independent survival should you ever be faced with something that would knock out your electricity, knock out your water supply, knock out some of your food sources, you know, knock out your communications. And, you know, there's so many different applications and so many different large scale natural disasters that a bug out bag can be used for. It's just kind of one of the global, you know, things that everyone should should do if you have any interest in disaster preparedness at all, you know, and that applies just as much to an earthquake as it does to any other large scale natural disaster. So I always, I always start with a bug out bag, you know, so I'm going to chime in with Craig there, you know, and that's essentially what he's saying is putting together a bug out bag, a 72 hour kit of some sort that rides at home, that rides in your car, you know depending on your location depending on what your vulnerabilities are and what natural disasters are likely to happen in the area that you live
0: and i just want to say if you guys want to get started down that road i know creek has the best selling book on that uh craig and i and creek i believe we've all got videos up on youtube and various different places where you can kind of check that out and get started but uh maybe name creek how about just name like five things people should have Uh, Craig named a few in their bug out bag. Maybe both of you guys can pitch in and uh, if people could pick like 10 items, maybe half of those are what they have right now in their house and throw them in a bag. What could they What could they do right now to get a bug out bag going?
1: You know, I wish they I wish my suggestions were going to feel like really smart and rocket science, but they're not. They're just super practical. So the first one is a tent, uh, just a really simple, lightweight backpacking tent uh, size to fit your size to fit your family. Um, If you've got a four person family, you need a four or five person tent. Uh, so shelter, you need three days worth of drinking water, fresh drinking water in your bag, along with a tool to source more drinking water. And for that, I suggest the Sawyer Mini. That uh, water filter has just absolutely been a game changer for the marketplace in the past few years. And three days worth of open and eat meals in the form of really easy power bars, cliff bars, um, kind of high calorie granola bars. Um, you're probably still going to be hungry, but if you pack two bars per meal for three days, that's going to be 18 bars and that's going to be plenty to get you plenty of food. Um, Then we start talking about tools. So, some just basic hand tools, a multi tool, maybe a knife. Um, But the one thing I'm going to suggest that a lot of people, you know, maybe won't think of, and that has become more important to me in my bug out bag and disaster kits recently is is a backup battery to charge cell phones. They may be out temporarily, but it won't be long until they're back on in most large-scale natural disasters, especially if you're traveling. You're probably going to happen upon service if it's out locally. So a backup charger for your cell phone um, and definitely plug-in chargers for your cell phone as well. I mean, there's no better communication tool still, even even in large-scale natural disasters, than a cell phone. And second would be a... You know, communication tool will probably be a CB
0: radio. That's really good. Simple list. And then most of it's stuff people could probably just pull from their kitchen and save some water bottles and fill those up and just have them over in reserve in your bag or or your kit that you can put in a vehicle or just put on your back. Good stuff. All right, let's do a lightning round. Here's a question do you guys see any biological threats that people should be aware of? And these could be uh, fabricated. They could be biological weapons and or diseases. And if you do uh, tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are there, man, that is out of my
2: scope of expertise. Well, I'll give you an example. It's it's not necessarily biological, but it goes right along with it as chemical. Uh, For example, a, a chemical contamination is a, a very real possibility where I live. There is a chemical weapons plant within 30 miles of my home that has, you know, basically mustard gas in it that has been stored there for decades. They're in the process of the, There's two of these facilities in the country and they're in the process of, of destroying those chemical weapons at this point. But, um, you know, if there was a huge earthquake in that part of the world, and some of those bunkers got contaminated, or the the weapons, you know, fell and broke open, then we'd have a chemical disaster right here in my hometown. Oh man, for sure. And so that that's a problem. And then, you know, I mentioned this before, but biological biological attacks are going to happen at some point in time. They already have happened in other parts of the world, and so it's just a test testing ground for the people that don't like what it is and who we are here in America, that they're going to try to bring those on a large scale here and not saying they have, or they haven't, but I just know that our government's preparing to, to stop that from happening. So that is something that if they're preparing for it, then it's a likely candidate of something that could happen.
0: Now on a kind of a natural disease spreading front, we do have an issue that seems to be rising. And we talked about this, Craig, I think it was last week with Dr. Joe and nurse Amy Alton. And they had brought up a very real threat that's happening right now in our own country. And this is some medieval diseases that are starting to rise because of, you know, various very poor conditions, specifically in California with regards to typhus, tuberculosis, and some other diseases that are, you know, that are just starting to emerge that we really thought were not issues anymore. Um, So I think that's just for my two cents, that's something that we need. To be prepared for and be aware of anything else on that one guys
1: well i mean i'll tell you of all the awful things that could happen in the world i think those two categories are about the scariest
0: now creek going outside the lightning around here you've traveled a lot and you've talked to a lot of people in various parts of the world that have been through these sorts of things if you come up against any like hygiene related issues that have happened in like the a- aftermath of any disaster
1: Oh, yeah. All, all the time, man. Um, a lot of we with the show I host on the Weather Channel, SOS, How to Survive. We have done several hurricane related episodes where we went and interviewed and talked to individuals who survived large scale hurricanes. And I'll never forget going to Puerto Rico, man, after Hurricane Maria. That island was just absolutely just massacred by Hurricane Maria and we went deep into that we went to Puerto Rico seven months after Maria hit and still the entire island was running on generators and we stayed in San Juan which is the capital city of Puerto Rico and the electricity was going on and off the whole time we were there you know in the hotel and uh, that was seven months after Maria in the capital city of Puerto Rico. And so we went into the inner mountainous region of Puerto Rico and, man, I mean, there was trash piled up on the, on the roads. You know, people didn't have running water because their water's piped from up in the mountains. They're, they're literally, their water runs from up in the mountains through pipes, a little network of kind of jerry-rigged pipes that they whipped together. And those all busted open. And so they were then forced to get water from Uh, the, the local rivers and streams, which were infested with dead animals that had been killed in the hurricane. I mean, dude, it was, it was absolutely crazy. And so it was hygiene issue after hygiene issue after hygiene issue. And then you combine that with the hot and humid muggy environment. And it's just any, anything that got started just festered, you know, within, you know, within hours. So it was, you know, I saw, I saw a lot of it, man. I saw, you know, I saw all kinds of crazy stuff.
0: So if you guys missed it uh, last time, I'm not sure what the number of that podcast was, Craig. But if people want to hear more about this particular issue, they can go back and hear what Dr. Joe and Nurse Amy had to say about this. Also, next up, Creek, I think you have a passion about this, too, and maybe not in the way that people would think. How about nuclear threats?
1: Yeah, Um you know, again, that's a little bit out of my area of expertise. You know, my my focus is really on natural disasters. And so I mean, I guess you could I guess you could definitely relate nuclear threats to, you know, nuclear power plants, right? Yes. Um, which yep. could easily be affected by large-scale natural disasters and that is certainly something that someone who lives within the vicinity of a nuclear power plant should consider. Um, you know, if, if you haven't looked up the map of nuclear power plants in North America, um, it would probably shock you to see all the red dots on that map.
0: Yeah. The reason I pegged you on that one, Craig, was I think maybe in the second podcast we did together, you had mentioned when I asked you what you thought the major threats were and you had mentioned nuclear power. So that's yeah, good. I think it's, yeah. it's
2: just like Creek is saying, I mean, it's anytime you, I, I mean, I th- we have a nuclear power plant very close to the new Madrid fault line. It just blows my mind that, and, and I've just seen it on my travels down to that part of the world. I don't know if that's on the Tennessee side, cause it's really close to Tennessee down there. Um, but it, it's just something that, you know, we saw what happened in Japan that could very easily happen anywhere here too. That has a nuclear plant,
0: just like Creek is saying. All right, so I'm going to do a three for lightning round here. Anything else on nuclear, biological, or chemical threats, cyber threats, or societal threats like socialism and communism? You guys cherry pick. You get one minute for whatever topic or topics you would like to discuss.
2: Craig, you can have my minute.
0: <laughs> okay, I'll
2: take. Uh, so I've got two minutes. Boom, man. I'm... All right, so nuclear cyber, uh, n- cyber threats, we had Mr. Donnie Gibbs on about three weeks ago. Go back and listen to that podcast. It was an incredibly enlightening podcast for me. I learned a lot from that podcast for sure. As far as societal threats, socialism, communism in particular, I think all you've got to do is look at history. People that don't pay attention to history are doomed to repeat it, right? Uh, we have some of this that's happening in, right in modern day in Venezuela. Uh, As before we got on, not because I thought you were going to ask this question, because this is a surprise question, but I was reading where they're mandating, literally mandating people to do farm work in Venezuela now, um, and you have no choice to do it. Uh, People in rural areas are going to be under governmental regulation forced to do farm work because people are starving to get there, and I'm not and again, we, we really do a good job of avoiding politics on this podcast. And I, and I like that, but at the same time, I can't, I don't think we can ignore the obvious, which is, is socialism running rampant in that part of the world is causing a lot of problems. And I have no interest in allowing that to be, uh, the governing way that we do things here in this country. Is that two minutes? Cause I took Creek's
0: minute. That that was perfect. That perfect Creek, do you have anything to kick in there? Or do you want to get to UFOs?
2: I mean, I want to get to these UFOs
1: if you guys are talking about UFOs today.
0: <laughs> All right. Before UFOs, Creek, you have to answer this one. Oh, no. What are your thoughts on Bigfoot? Oh, oh gosh, man. David.
1: I'm telling you. <laughs> oh,
0: wow. I'm telling
1: you. know I'm going to catch heat for this answer regardless of which way I take, right?
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Here, here's the thing, guys. I mean, we're finding skeletons of T-Rex. And all these other dinosaurs, you know I mean in this day and age, with all the smartphones and all the cameras and all the everything you know if big if Bigfoot really existed man i mean it would be crazy to think that we would not that we would not have you know, gotten
2: some actual footage, but Creek, what if he lives in a dimension not really <laughs> understood by our species? Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> now, 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 you're
1: now you're talking. I think that's oh, the perfect. Man, I, had... I think
2: that's the perfect segue. Yeah. Oh, true. Very good. I did not intend it that way either. <laughs> uh, go ahead, David. What's up?
0: All right. So that's good, Creek. I couldn't give you a total buy on the last one, so I had to throw that one in there for for you. Thanks. So aliens. Well, actually, we're not going to talk aliens. Let's just talk about UFOs. So recently in the news, it was a couple of days ago, because of some very interesting footage that was released by our military. I think it was specifically the Air Force and some of our more advanced fighters that have a new radar they can pick up uh, and lock onto objects that are uh, in our atmosphere. There's some really compelling footage of some... Locks onto uh, something that was flying or a- appeared that it was flying that was defying many of our physical laws. So, this had come to the forefront. I don't know, Creek, if you've s- seen any of this, but Craig, you probably have. Um, the footage is, is interesting. So, now it's, it's up here on the forefront. President Trump, a couple of days ago, was asked specifically what what does he think of UFOs? And he said something like, I'm not a believer, but anything's possible. What do you guys say?
1: Well, I haven't heard of any of this yet. Like, like I mentioned earlier, I don't watch the news much, Um, but I already know what that is. Go for it. That's definitely China. (laughs) With some, with some big, with some really high flying, (laughs) Some kind of ship up there, man. I I don't know. I've I've not heard any of this before. So I'm super curious what you guys are going to say.
2: All right. Do you have an answer, David, or do you want me to go for it? You go for it. So David, those listening, said that he wanted to talk about UFOs, and I don't really follow UFOs and that stuff. So I, I started looking and doing, again, I love to research and read about things that I'm not familiar with. I listened to the podcast by Joe Rogan with Bob Lazar on it that came out recently. And I have to say the guy gives up a very convincing argument of UFOs being a real thing that are housed at area 51 in Nevada. I know when I say that everybody's going to go, well, whatever. But the, the guy is either one of the best liars that I've ever seen because I study how to read people when they lie. He's either one of the best that I've ever seen. Or he's got a really convincing story. And some of the stuff that David just mentioned um, backs up what it is that he's been saying for an incredibly long time, specifically this video that David's mentioning, which actually, David, I don't know if you realize this or not, it came out recently, but that was actually recorded. One of them was recorded in 2009. One of them was recorded in 2014. Um, But those particular instances that were captured by our, our United States military back up what Bob Lazar said almost 20 years ago about how these aircraft cry or uh, fly and how they go about moving and stuff of that nature.
1: So, and they, and they've ruled out the possibility that it could be some kind of just a, some type of surveillance craft from another country. Cause we know that happens.
2: Yeah, we know that that happens. Um, what, what came up in this discussion? And again, it's basically one person. So, you know, that's not a really big case study. To, to make a definitive consideration on I'm a statistics geek. So it's just one person, but um, the way he described this craft and the way it's able to move is what was seen on the, on the videos that we now have and the way this thing moves, we don't have any known aircraft that can move like that. So, or nor does anybody else in the world have aircraft that we know that can move like that. So, up until about three days ago, I I was like, "Well, whatever." But when David said he wanted to talk about UFOs, I I needed to get prepped on UFOs and listening to this stuff. Uh, I'm a little bit more on the other side of maybe it's true. Oh man, check that out! How about that? I see a new I see a new course in your survival repertoire coming. Negative. I'm not that far creak. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that sounds entertaining though, wouldn't it? I bet I could sell a bunch of them. Maybe I should do it.
0: <laughs> now I want to differentiate a little bit between UFOs and aliens. I mean, UFO is just simply an unidentified flying object, right? So it's an un- unexplainable object that's, as Craig well described, that's moving in ways that we currently with our, understanding of what is available technology wise, we currently don't have an explanation for it. Aliens is a completely different topic and I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I have some friends. I'm not going to mention any cause Craig, you, you know, one of our mutual friends who's very much into Bigfoot. And, um, and so in the circles that I, that I travel, I hear some things and I've talked to some people and so I try to do my own research on Creek Back to Bigfoot and UFOs because you can listen to one or two people and every once in a while you'll find a really compelling argument or a compelling story. You know, part of what I believe is I I believe that there are definitely some hoaxes, some very significant hoaxes, and there's some people that for whatever whatever their motives are, um are not telling the truth and, and they know it in these particular areas, because it's clickbait, it's attention grabbing sort of stuff. However, I think in both of these areas, I think there are people that truly believe their, their stories, whether it's aliens or UFOs or Bigfoot. Um, I side with Creek. I have, I, I joke around when I'm in the woods now and again, and I see something a little bit odd um, with the people that I'm with. And I I'll say, you know, Sasquatch and you know, just as it is joking around, but I, I tend to look at kind of the lack of compelling evidence that I've seen in that particular area. Um But I, I can't, I can't totally discount it because I don't know, but you know, we all have to, it just goes with anything. We all have to uh, do some critical thinking, do your own research on these topics and land where you land and, and just, um you know, don't stress it. <laughs> Don't stress it. And um, same thing with UFOs. I think that the evidence here, because it came out through the U.S. military, was compelling. And, you know, there's there's been some compelling other stories that do have uh, some background. And the Area 51 thing, I, I talked to somebody once who worked in there. And his story was very, very interesting. So anyway, I'll leave it at that. Anything else? You know,
1: you know, Bigfoot's number one enemy. (laughs) Who? The trail cam. Yeah, no joke.
0: Yes. Yeah. I
1: mean, dude, I I have trail cam set up on, you know, hundreds of acres, you know, that cover hundreds of acres that I have access to. And I mean, I catch every critter you can imagine on those trail cams, man. Even stuff
2: that I didn't even know was even running around on our properties, you know? But well I'm a tracker and so I've <laughs> had the opportunity that present people that say they've seen a bigfoot here and I say okay I'll come help you track it and nobody ever takes me up on that. <laughs> yeah I think that's kind of interesting yeah so anyway it is we don't want it to bust is. too many bubbles today because i it is a fun conversation nah,
0: nah, now <laughs> and we now have drones too
1: like, and drones
0: I've heard yeah I've heard of a through like technically a lot of people from vancouver island right where there's been several seasons of alone shot there and you know again trail cams and drones if if there was an area of activity couldn't couldn't we somehow see something right that was not blurry and you know from the 1960s so
2: certainly if it was in this dimension i mean
1: man there's (laughs) so much to be gained by someone to proves bigfoot's to prove bigfoot's existence like th- like to really prove it there is so much wealth to be had in that proof there's so much fame to be to be earned in that proof and we know people man you know humans are wired to chase money fame notoriety you know and all of those would come in just insane amounts with the discovery and proof of Bigfoot, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's all that needs to be said.
2: Yeah. I'm with you.
0: Well, this is a good discussion guys. That was, that was a lot of fun and it was a little bit longer than a lightning round, but I think we, we talked about some things that I think we're all interested in and I was glad to hear your opinions. So Creek, thank you so much for being part of this.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. Always. Wish I could have added more you value continued. today.
0: Oh, you were great. Creek. Can you tell the guys how to connect with you and some other things that you have going yeah,
1: on? Yeah, you know, it's real simple. It all starts at creekstewart.com. You'll enter in your email. You'll become a part of my email list, and then I'll let you know everything you need to know from there. All you got to do is take that first step and go to creekstewart.com, and I'll take care of the rest.
0: And you're still going strong on the show, right? SOS, how to survive on the weather channel. Yeah. We
1: just finished filming season three, you know, so
2: nice. Yeah. That's a wrap.
1: That's going to be airing a little bit later this summer, late July, early August. I hear, um, incredible season, awesome stories. And, uh, you know, we're still, we're still hitting it. So, um, it's good stuff
0: can you give any sneak peeks on some ideas or things that are coming up
1: yeah well i mean let me just tell you one real quick story that was pretty crazy speaking of southern california the one of the stories that we cover a guy was driving on the windy roads of southern california kind of up in the mountains and it was at night and he drove off of the road over a like a 200 foot cliff and crashed at the bottom of the cliff And ended up having to survive in this ravine for over a week with hardly anything, and he was pretty busted up. But here's the kicker. When he went over the cliff and landed, he wasn't alone because another car had gone over the cliff a week before, except the person in that car was deceased. And so it was like a mental trip at the same time. Here he is down there with this person who has passed away in the same thing that just happened to him, except he's not dead yet, you know? And so he's trying to figure out how to survive (laughs) down there in this ravine with very little water, full sun, hardly any shade he's beaten up. And so, you know, we put ourselves in a similar situation and, you know, he, he made it out alive. Um, it was a pretty incredible story. Um, and, and, one that really brought his family together. So it was a lot of cool things going on there, but, uh, but there was also some real tragedy in that too.
0: Well, thanks for the sneak peek there on the upcoming season and Creek. Thank you again for being part of this and please come back. Dude, again. Dude. I love you guys. Absolutely. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. No more UFO questions. We're done. Well, I'm just going to tell you this. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this when, when Creek paused and he said, but there was somebody else there i thought I, I no joke thought he was gonna say it was big or, or i did too i did too i started to say it but i didn't i, I didn't want to interrupt him
2: <laughs> oh wow you would have said a joke right at the wrong time
0: man. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. no joke
2: exactly. that all right guys if that's it i'm gonna close this out nothing more we're good
0: that's it take us out of here
2: All right, guys, thank you for listening. Subscribe to the podcast now. It's free to do so. That ensures that you don't miss that on this or any other episodes. May, many, many thanks to Creek, obviously, for being here. And for you that are listening who have already done exactly that, subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating as well. Click the link in the links in the description below to get everything that we've talked about in the show today, including Creeksteward.com and all the cool stuff that happens there. All right, guys, I think that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show Podcast. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.